Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news and interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. I'm Tony from Good Morning America. And I'm Jeffrey from D23. And together we're taking you Inside Disney. Happy New Year! Happy New we're Year! Back. 2022! Woo, woo. New Year, same us. New Year, same us. <laughs> As you can hear, loud and clear. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you all. You too. You, ha- you haven't aged a day since last year. Oh, thank you. Too kind. You too, Jeffrey. So what have you guys been up to? Oh, well, I am Team Boba Fett. For life. Yes. I watched the first episode three times. I wanted to get it all in. <laughs> Loving it. But you guys. Well, I did a lot. I did some rewatching. I rewatched Encanto with mm. uh, my family. Aww. And that was, I, it was my third time now watching it. And I loved yes. it. I feel like I love it even more each time I watch it, which, you know, I'm not someone who normally watches things multiple times. So love that. And I watched on Disney Plus, Ron's Gone Wrong which is so, so fun. Yeah, super funny, really well done, really like that. I know it's super old, but I did finally watch Taylor Swift, The Long Pond <gasps> Studio Sessions. Ah! Oh my gosh, the best. Ooh, I got to rewatch that. I really enjoyed that. I also watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which not on our streaming service, but it is a Fox Searchlight film and that Jessica Chastain was amazing. And Andrew Garfield, the two of them are just so freaking incredibly talented. The whole cast was great. Mm. Vincent D'Onofrio, who also we just saw on Hawkeye as Kingpin. And in fact, coming up on the show, we've got Burton Birdie, directors of a bunch of the Hawkeye episodes, answering some big questions, including that crazy Kingpin revelation. So a lot coming up. Mm. And, And Sherry, what have you been up to? Well, I've also been spending my holiday season streaming. I just started a show on Hulu. It's not a new show. It's called Cowboy Bebop. It's a Japanese sci-fi anime from the late 90s. It's about a bounty hunter in space. It also has like the best intro slash theme song ever. I'm like never going to skip that. (laughs) I will say there is some violence and some adult themes, so I do not recommend it for the little ones, but it's like I feel cool watching it. (laughs) It feels very hip. Anyway, if anyone else is watching it, DM me. Yeah, thanks for the reco. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to hit the news, but probably the biggest piece of news was that Disney legend Betty White passed away on New Year's Eve. Very sad, but what an incredible life, 99 very full years. I had the privilege of being at the first D23 Expo back in 2009 when she was inducted and using her trademark wit she gets out there and she goes, I want to put to rest the rumor that somebody started that I used to babysit for Walt when he was a little boy. I did it. (laughs) I mean, just fantastic. Golden Girls, The Proposal, so many wonderful projects she did with us at Disney. Thanks, Betty, for all the laughs. And you can read more about her incredible life at D23. Wow. A legend in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a chance to go through some of her photos from the last time on GMA and there's just not a photo out there of her where you're just not smiling as a reaction yeah. so yeah. Ugh, we'll miss Incredible. her mm. well we got a lot of news Tony why don't we start with you we sure do 
if you need a warm escape wherever you are listening from right now, you are in luck because Typhoon Lagoon has officially reopened. Such great times there. Obviously, a few of my favorites, the wave pool, duh, Mm -hmm. Crush and Gusher, the water coaster, Mm -hmm. Castaway Creek. And you'll find new experiences with the reopening like, Sherry, you ready for this? I'm ready. A create your own custom Dole Whip dessert. (gasps) What? I've literally literally dreamt this, I feel, because you know how I feel about Dole Whip. Okay. So you're going to be able to mix and match flavors to build your own Dole Whips along with some adult toppings like mm, tequila and rum. Oh, super fun. And there's also going to be a Moana inspired Dole Whip cone. Well, (sighs) it's amazing. And FYI, breaking news the Hey Hey cone also. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You can get that there. Trust me. I was like, do I make a special trip to Orlando just to get the Hey Hey cone? And the answer is maybe. I might. D23 inside Disney from Typhoon Lagoon. Oh my gosh, I'm so in. I'm ready. At sea, a different sea. I love it. Yes. And we're still celebrating, of course, 50 years of Walt Disney World. So you'll find 50th anniversary inspired menu items around the water park. Let's go. Yes. 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 Well, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, the very end of Spider-Man No Way Home, the tag at the very end essentially is the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. It's now out. It has gajillions, and I believe that's actually a term of views on the <laughs> interwebs. If you have not seen it, first of all, what are you waiting for? I, I, my, my brain, my brain started maybe exploding. It, yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch is back. Benedict Wong, Rachel McAdams, uh, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. So if you've not checked it out, check it out. It's on Marvel.com and other fabulous places where you consume your trailers <laughs> cannot wait for that may 6th Woo. just like for this i literally screamed when i saw this <laughs> teaser trailer on abc on new year's eve <sighs> the kardashians are officially coming to hulu oh i'm so Yay. excited the next chapter of keeping up with the kardashians debuting later this year but you can catch this teaser video featuring the whole fam Chris, Kim, Chloe, Courtney, Kendall, and Kylie on Hulu's YouTube. Ah, oh, this one fun. makes me giddy. I'm so excited fun, for this fun, one. Fun. Well, in more streaming news, Disney Plus just released a new trailer and new poster for the all-new Disney Plus original film, The Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild. Woohoo! Oh, yes. That premieres exclusively on Disney Plus January 28th. It continues the wild escapades of all of our favorite Sub-Zero <laughs> heroes as they create more, quote, prehistoric pandemonium. Love that alliteration. <laughs> and you can get your Ice Age fix, watch all five films and two TV specials on Disney Plus right now. Nice, nice. But before you do that, you know what you should do? You should be ready for five fantastic things to watch this weekend, courtesy of our friends at D23, the official Disney fan club. For complete details, visit D23.com. That's the first five fantastic things of the year. There you go. And up first, we have Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends on Disney Junior. And I think feeling like having seen No Way Home, it's so different when you hear that like Doc Ock and Green Goblin and Rhino are all on this. And I feel like, oh, but 
aren't they? And I don't want to <laughs> spoiler it for anyone who has not seen that movie yet, but based on the box office numbers, I feel like everyone has seen that movie multiple times. Anyway, you can catch this new episode on Friday, January 7th at 9 a.m. on Disney Channel and 12.30 p.m. on Disney Junior. And also on January 7th on ABC, an all-new episode of Shark Tank with special guest Kevin Hart. This will be a fun one, so tune into ABC. Well, and on FX at 8 p.m. on January 7th, we've got Lucy in the Sky featuring Natalie Portman about uh, an astronaut who returns to Earth and begins to lose a bit of touch with reality. I never saw that, but I do love me some Natalie Portman, so maybe I will catch it mm. this Friday. And on Sunday, January 9th at 8 p.m. on ABC, it is an all-new episode of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. Yay! Love that. We've got Marsha Cross, we've got Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Anderson. Oh, love you, Anthony. Yay. And continuing the trend of all new episodes, also on Sunday, January 9th at 10 p.m. Eastern on ABC, an all new episode of The Rookie starring Nathan Fillion. Happy weekend, everybody. On to our wonderful guests. This dynamic duo took on the heroic task of directing episodes three, four, and five of Marvel Studios' Hawkeye. They are here today to answer all of our crazy questions. Please welcome to the show, the directorial team of Bert and Bertie. Yay! All right, now, first off, for anyone who is listening who has not finished Hawkeye, you may want to hit pause and finish the show first. Okay, giving you that moment and keep listening. Now, Bert and Bertie, <laughs> some of the things we're going to touch on happened in episodes you didn't direct, but we assume that you knew about them since they're part of the overall story. So, you know, feel free to tell us just to move along or maybe blink a couple of times if you want to signal that you'll tell us after the show. Mm -hmm. Audible blinks. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us the differences in directing Haley, who's playing a new character in the MCU, versus Jeremy and Florence, who are bringing back really established characters. Good question. I like it. I mean, we do say often, especially with how many years has Jeremy lived with Clint Barton? I'm not even going to hazard a guess. A long time. And even though you don't see the whole of Clint Barton across the movies, Jeremy's lived the whole of Clint Barton's life in his head a few times, we feel. So he very much knows who Clint is, who Hawkeye is, and who Clint as the Ronin is. So it's really coming into something that's very established with Jeremy and looking to what does this show do differently or what are we able to explore that you've not explored yet? The, the kind of the goofy side, the dad side. So that's kind of working with Jeremy. Do you want to talk about Haley and... I mean, Haley is, she's so experienced, isn't she? And she's so good. Her instincts are so good. So she, I feel like she had gone on her own journey and come in with, you know, a version of a Kate Bishop that, you know, was pretty close to where she kind of landed. And I think, you know, you're very lucky when you're directing kind of later episodes because, we get her when she's been through two episodes already and is starting to to really find herself. So, you know, in that way, it's such a pleasure because she's made a lot of very good decisions by the time she got to us. And the great thing is that where she was as Kate Bishop, just like in the Matt Fraction comics, felt far enough away from what Clint Barton feels like. That That's where that dynamic and that energy kind of comes from. 
While the show has a lot of humor, but can also be pretty intense, was there ever a funny moment that helped break up the tension? Ooh, another great question. I will say there was constant levity being thrown in because the show calls for it. Although when we went into the dark, so five we'd say was our most dramatic episode. And so when our, in the, the dark moments of Ronan, I feel like Jeremy very much was living that. But then you get the kind of the semi-emotional, dark and funny mac and cheese scene, for instance, and there was just so much joy that those two actors kept throwing into the mix. There's a great sizzle reel that Rosie Tan, our editor, actually just forwarded today. You can see it on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> What's really great about it is it shows you the beat before they break character and then kind of turn to camera and Haley's sticking her tongue out or something. So <laughs> as Bodie said, you know, the underlying tone of the show is starkly comedic and absurd. So that always permeates everything, even the darker scenes. I was curious, a lot of series, traditional series, you can have a different director for every episode. Marvel tends to have the same director. You split directorial duties, and I'm curious how you map that out so that you're hitting the same tones, that you're setting things so that the initial episodes are setting it up right for you, you're setting it up right for the finale. I'm curious how you guys balanced that. It's the reason you have kind of tone meetings and you have discussions about tone and character and and you just hope for the best. No, um, <laughs> genuinely, you have to understand the tone of a show. I mean, the individual stuff that you bring to it is kind of shot choices or, you know, different scenes and building them out or plussing them, as it's called in the Marvel universe. But you kind of hope if you put in that groundwork to discuss tone and to discuss, you know, what the different characters are or feeling or doing, then, because the scripts are your roadmaps, aren't they? So as long as you're following your map, then it tends to come out in the wash, even though there is a difference between the directing style. It doesn't necessarily seem to affect the audience in a way that they'd really notice that there's been a director change. But yeah, you all have to be on the same page in the beginning, otherwise you don't stand a chance. But no idea how it does come out in the wash, no idea why it does work or how it doesn't feel completely different. It's probably because your characters and your world are consistent. I think early on there was a really great dialogue between us and Reese as well. Our office is right over the corridor from Reese's. We came into it a little bit later than Reese, so you never know quite what the dynamic's going to be. And I remember very early on, like having questions and just going, I'm just going to pop over and ask Reese what he's thinking for when. And, and we did, and we started kind of like knocking on each other's doors, and then the doors would be open. And so there was just never a moment that we couldn't collaborate, share ideas. It was all for the greater good. So it just felt very, very natural. And Reese has got his way of working and his style and we've got ours, but it never felt at odds. It just felt like we were just passing the baton on and, and not that it had to be identical. We didn't have to, we all shared the same camera package. We all shared the same lenses. And if there are slight differences in style, it's, as Bert was saying, it's the story and characters that carries you through. And people quite enjoy a freshness, you know, like we feel like we had a, a slightly different energy to each one of our episodes, for instance, like five is, is very different tonally and actually in some of the camera choices to three and four. So, so anyway, it just, it, it did come out in the wash somehow, but there was a lot of great dialogue and, and shared understanding. So the mac and cheese scene was, well, 
delicious for the record. <laughs> Something we found interesting was that it's really the first time we see Yelena with her hair down, not looking like she's about to go into battle. So tell us about that scene and was that a deliberate choice? That's a good question. Do you know, it's so interesting. I think because she doesn't feel like she's necessarily in the middle of an action mission at that point, you do get to see her dressed a little bit down. And also she's she's doing a little bit of undercover work as well. So she's not in Black Widow uh, kind of, can't speak, mode. I know. <laughs> not in Black Widow mode, that's it. Um, and so it naturally makes sense that she's in kind of more civilian clothing. Florence came in and we had chosen another outfit for that scene. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is what Yelena would wear. So she very much knew who her character was and I think was enjoying expressing what Yelena might wear when she's not wearing, you know, her black widow clothing. And that scene amongst us all was always described as the girls' night in, you know. It's become the mac and cheese scene because that's the thing that seals the deal for most of the fans out there. But it was the girls' night in. So Yelena has come to Kate's place not to get into a fight with her she's come for information about where clint barton is and she's gonna have fun having a girly chat along the way because this is a woman who's grown up around you know the other widows are the only people she's really had the only family and so there's a sisterhood not only just with natasha but with all those widows and i think there is this feeling of being more comfortable in the company of women somehow and so yeah she came for a girls night in and it felt very comfortable. Like it felt like a Yelena we hadn't seen, which I loved. When she said she wasn't going to kill her, you're like, no, you're not. Like you got a different look in your eye when you say that. <laughs> but there was an underlying threat. There's always that underlying threat with Yelena. However silly or goofy or excited about, you know, New York tourist attractions she is, she's also got these, these widow's gauntlets on her wrists that at any point could zap you. So... Now, I believe they rebuilt Rockefeller Center in Atlanta. I mean, that was more the finale than Europe. I was just curious if you got to see it just because I'm thinking to rebuild Rockefeller Center, like such an icon. I'm curious what it looked like or how much was redone in a computer versus how much was practical in front of you. We did see it. It was the same location. A lot of our rooftop fights were happening and that ice rink was built. But really, it was kind of one story up. You'll have to get the full details from Reese or Maya. One story up and then everything else was an extension. But of course, we went to New York. Our first two weeks of filming were in New York. And there was a lot of stuff established. And the main reason, because there was things that we were doing, which were back alleys in Brooklyn, which you could double as, but it was really to be there for... Times Square for the Rockefeller Center. So those big swooping shots where you've got the tracksuits coming towards the Rockefeller Center and there's that big kind of tilt up, that was real. That was all oh, real. That's good. It's nice to know not everything is, you know, I love that. I love the practical or the real. I think this show really does live there because it is what people called it kind of like the street level Marvel show. And so it really was important to us and Reese that there was as much practical as possible, that we were walking in real worlds and feeling that kind of grit around them. You touched on Vincent a moment ago. Wilson Fisk was reintroduced in your episode and Matt Murdock is back in Spider-Man No Way Home. Have you seen the Daredevil series? And when did you know they were bringing those characters in from what many fans thought may have remained in a separate universe? 
Yeah, yeah, it was such a great kind of universe crossover. I mean, obviously we were deeply excited when we heard that Vincent was stepping in. I mean, what an opportunity. It's extraordinary just to be in the same room as him. And then I think we went back and watched a whole lot of Daredevil just to get more of an idea who the character is and who we were dealing with. So before we came on the show, we didn't know that we were working with Florence, Vera, Tony, or Vincent. So that was quite extraordinary. And obviously our, our darling sweetheart from the UK, Simon Callow, made a, a brief appearance. So um, we were very lucky as this unfolded every time it was like unwrapping another Christmas present under the tree. It's a good analogy for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Rogers the Musical. I know you didn't direct that episode, but it is amazing and we want to see the full show. Mm -hmm. It also seems to have broader implications. There's a billboard for it in Spider-Man No Way Home. It feels like much the way the Avengers are mythologized in our own reality, they're kind of becoming mythologized in their own universe as well. Yes, I mean, 100% yes. I think we are finding out about Rogers the Musical when that that gem landed in episode two it was just so much yes we all went along to watch it even though we weren't involved it was like we can't miss <laughs> out seeing this thing play out on stage it was so it was so cloak and dagger i remember just i even just took my phone out of my pocket and someone was upon me looking through my phone and seeing what had been recorded and i was like i didn't i honestly didn't <laughs> I you know who i am but <laughs> <laughs> but it was a stroke of genius You've only got to imagine that the full meta circle will be that Marvel now produced the Broadway musical and we are available for, for directing Broadway musicals also. You know? I like this. I like this. I would like to see you guys direct that. That would be amazing. So you see the billboard for Rogers the Musical and Spider-Man. Have you guys seen Spider-Man No Way Home at this point? Or did you just hear all about Spider-Man No Way Home uh -huh. and that informed? I mean, that was a, sorry, that's sort of the my wraparound question, like, because there were so many things that informed your series and that movie. I'm curious how that information was conveyed. I mean, we got to see Widow, Black Widow, ahead of its release because of the Yelena storyline. I feel like that kind of influenced us more. I feel like I might be speaking out of tone, but I feel like we influenced Spider-Man. Do you know what I mean? Spider-Man was watching us and we were watching Widow, I mm. think just in terms of how it was out. I think it was prior to us because we did hear about things along the way that was going on with the Statue of Liberty. And oh, yes, we, we did hear about statues. We didn't know about the Charlie Cox of it all until later. We didn't actually see No Way Home. I haven't seen it yet. It was kind of like need to know basis. So when we needed to know something, Trim would be like, oh, by the way, you know, the Statue of Liberty gets a makeover and no way home. And we're like, okay, cool, on it. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> and I saw like the, the your episode, No Way Home finale, and the way it was like a perfectly orchestrated symphony. It was wow. beautiful. It was, you know, the crescendo finale and coda. I don't know if that's actually yeah. totally right, but Kevin Feige and that whole Victoria, everyone there, they're just all geniuses. Yeah, they can see the Matrix. We're merely in the Matrix, but they can see all. So I am sure I would need to watch the show a hundred more times all over again to find all the Easter eggs. But are there a couple of favorites of yours you can share that we should look out for on repeat viewing? 
My favorite is the mug that Clint drinks out of Aunt Moira's apartment, the uh, Thanos was right mug. Yes. I have to watch very closely, but it's there. I loved that. <laughs> That's my favorite. There was a kind of an on-set moment in episode five when they're coming back from Batman auto repair shop where the Ronan and Maya fight has gone down and they get out of the Uber that early morning. And Clint hands Kate an arrow in that moment. And that was really an impromptu moment because we didn't have enough time to shoot a dialogue scene at that point. We're like, let's just do something, anything. And there was this frame of um, the Fraction comics that was always on Trin's wall. And we were always like, how are we gonna get that moment, that image of Kate and Clint both holding an arrow in? And it just, instead of shooting a dialogue scene, we just gave Clint an arrow, he handed it over and it became the scene. Mm. It tells you everything you needed to say without words. Those are sometimes the most impactful. I love that. Given the secrecy behind all things Marvel, what was the hardest secret you each had to keep while making the show? It was Vincent. I mean, Vincent was the big, I mean, they smuggled him in and they smuggled him out. I think even Yelena was, um, Florence was even spotted at the airport, but God knows how they got Vincent there. And then you also got to remember, because you have doubles. So we had two doubles for Vincent. Oh, so wow. both of them had to be smuggled in as well because they had the look. You know, they were they were larger men, no hair. And so even if you'd seen them on set in costume, people would have guessed who they were. So all three of these, you know, these amazingly huge frames were kind of smuggled under black cloaks, which was all very exciting. Let's talk about Maya for a minute. She's such a fantastic character. And during her episodes, she really evolved. Can you talk about her character's growth and where you'd like to see her going in the future? Well, I mean, it, it was such a it was such a kind of privilege to introduce her as a character and really see what her origin story is, you know, and to help create that. Because in the real world, no one is purely good or purely evil. And it's good to see this woman who heads up the mafia, why she is like she is possibly. And so we love bringing that texture and that color to Maya and introducing her properly. Because as you said, she will go on to have her own show and who knows what else. But it was exciting. It was a real privilege and obviously to work with Alakwa and the young Maya is played by her niece. Oh. Um, yeah, who also had never had never acted before. It was a lovely process. It was a very sensitive process. And I think when we knew that it would be in our hands, we were very excited mm. um, to be responsible for that. Now, Vincent D'Onofrio is terrifying. Ah, yes. Both on Daredevil and in Hawkeye. Please tell us he's really nice and like bakes cookies for the cast or something. <laughs> he's amazing. He's an angel. He really is. And I remember when we first met him on Zoom and, and everyone's like, so he's very punctual to make sure you're on time. And we were, you know, all we really knew of him was the fisk of it all. And I was horrendously late because I had a crisis and I just remember thinking, oh gosh, of all the people to be late for. And he was like, hey, Bertie, how are you? So nice to meet you. And it was just very splendid. So yes, he's wonderful. We, I think we had a great working relationship with Vincent and a social fun relationship as much as he can do during COVID. But yes, don't worry. He's a lovely gentleman and just a very good actor. Good to know. I'm slightly less terrified now. <laughs> no, we should that rumor going. He's, he's terrifying. 
terrifying. <laughs> Not that it isn't great to have Linda Cardellini in literally anything, but I was wondering what her main purpose seemed to be sitting on the other end of every phone call with Clint. Were you excited to be a part of ultimately revealing her deeper connection to the MCU? I mean, it sounds like everyone's picked up on the details they needed to. Mm. Like, what will happen next with Linda Cardellini's character? That's the detail you needed to pick up on, and you have. Congratulations. <laughs> when, you, when you have an actor like that, how can you not want to deepen their character? Yes, yes. Throughout all of the Avengers movies, there's been this ultimate understanding. And you're like, how is this woman so understanding of Clint Barton's life and what he has to go and do? And maybe that's just about to be answered. You never know. Mm, excellent point. And last, but certainly not least, we end every interview and we ask people what their favorite Disney memory is. Wow. It can be anything Disney, a movie, a theme park experience, maybe anything. Do you know, I, I suppose I have to go with what literally flashed to my head, which it's, it sounds so morbid now. I think the most impactful Disney memory I have is Bambi's mother dying. <laughs> oh, well, that certainly... Like, you know, after that, every, every Disney movie kind of has the loss of a parent going on even all the way down to Hawkeye and Kate Bishop but then like as soon as you'd said that the flash of joy of Thumper was what yes. made that okay for me so if we all have a Thumper in our lives I think that's what Disney taught me as a child hmm. I love that mine would be sitting my grandmother lived in Johannesburg and lived in these old mining cottages in one of the suburbs and in the small room where we used to stay when we went and stayed with her were all the Disney animated movies but turned into these beautifully illustrated books that looked mm -hmm. like the animations. So I actually read the books before I saw the animation. So I remember the images because I would sit for hours paging through these books of Bambi and Dumbo. And yeah, so it was a whole other way to experience it. And only later saw the movies, but it was imprinted in my childhood brain in my grandmother's home. I love that. Well, Bert, Bertie, this was amazing. Congratulations so much on the show. Cannot wait to see what is next. Hopefully something more for Marvel because you guys were wonderful and the show was just terrific. So much gratitude for everything you've done and can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Bye. Great to talk. Take care. They were so sweet. And I just love getting to talk like Marvel zaniness with people. So... <laughs> I mean, talk about dynamic duo. That was great. Yes. Mm. Well, thank you again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic Disney guest on an all new episode of D23 Inside, Inside Disney. Disney.